This episode of According to Flint is brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, who is proud to bring the Western lifestyle and outdoor enthusiasts together for conservation projects, enhancing elk habitat, and ensuring the future of America's hunting heritage. Visit rmef.org for more information. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this episode of According to Flint. Welcome to According to Flint, the innovative podcast reaching beyond the Western demographic with stories, humor, and interviews. Now, here's your host, Flint Rasmussen. Well, welcome everybody to uh, another episode of According to Flint and reaching out beyond, well, not really beyond the Western sports world. We'll get to that, but happy to welcome to episode number 25, good friend of mine, star of stage and screen here. I'll, I'll do, I'll pick the, a couple of the credentials that I like making appearances on shows like CSI Miami. We've talked about that. More importantly, Murder, She Wrote, if I remember. Oh, you're, you're going way back. I'm going way back. But he is, of course, Dr. Richard Weber on Grey's Anatomy. I'll say my good friend, Mr. Yeah. James Pickens, Jr. Jim, good to thank you. Hey, I appreciate the time. Oh, my pleasure, Flynn. Thank you for inviting me on. I was looking forward to it. Well, and we, this isn't like, I do. I always say, you know, certain people, I say my good friend, we've run into each other enough at the NFR, the national finals rodeo in Vegas, that they're always, we always seem to find each other around there and have a good visit, but you're, you're drawn to the NFR. You go every year, don't you? Yeah. I'm obviously missed last year, but uh, I've been going now for shucks. I want to say I had a streak there. I'm almost 20 years running where I went every year. Well, I remember when I, you know, I do my little, <clears throat> or excuse me, I do my major talk show there on stage. Right. And, and I remember years ago, I think it was Wrangler came and said, brought up your name yeah. and said, we can get him on your show, you know, Grey's Anatomy. And I'll admittedly at that time I went. I've never watched an episode of Grey's Anatomy. So, so I, I did, you come on stage and people are clamoring to the front of the stage going crazy for Dr. Weber on Grey's Anatomy. And I said, damn it, I got to watch this show apparently. So, yeah, but that was a lot of fun. That for the, fun. For the most part, that demographic of people, I think it's why there's certain Hollywood type people that moved to Montana. I know in my little tiny hometown of Shoto, Montana, David Letterman has a place and nobody bothers him. You know, it's just Dave walking down the street, the NFR, I would imagine I've never walked through a cowboy Christmas type place with you. I would imagine that rural America, they say hello, they're cordial, but it's not a, an obnoxious thing that they're pretty good about that. Uh, you know, I, I have to say, you know, the, 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 the times I've been there and the fans have always been very gracious and I've always been very appreciative of it. Uh, they, um, they are enamored with the fact that I, 
uh, enjoy the Western lifestyle. That's a, they get a big kick out of that. Yeah. They, I get a lot of it. Wow. We love you on the show, but we we're even more excited that you, you know, you rope and that you love rodeo and all that stuff. So it's always uh, a, a lot of fun when I get that, but I, I, I get quite a bit of attention there, but it's, it's not bad. I, I've yeah. never, I can honestly say I've never run into a situation where I felt uncomfortable. Why would I? But uh, yeah, always the uh, fans have always been really gracious when I go to and especially to the Cowboy Christmas and, yeah. and the other uh, uh, venues that are gifting venues. Well, you know, I think I always judge. I can, I can look, and you know this, mm-hmm. if I'm at a rodeo or in public, I can look instantly at a person and determine if they're legit kind of no rodeo because mm-hmm. of how they wear the stuff. You got to <laughs> wear, you wear your Wranglers right. You, you got mm-hmm. your hat shaped right. Mm-hmm. I'll give you credit. You know how to wear the stuff. Yeah. Good job. You're, you're I, got some, I got I got some street cred, some dirt you, cred. You got, we'll go. That's a good way to put it. Dirt. There's street cred and there's dirt cred. You're both, Jim. You're you got it. You got it. So when we talked earlier or last week about getting you here, you said you were in New York and then yeah. just flew back to L.A. Yeah, I just got back uh, yesterday. Uh, I, I don't know if the, your audience knows, but my I started my career in New York as a stage actor on Broadway. And I spent 12, 12 years in New York and met my wife actually there and my daughter was born there. So we try and get back at least once a year. I bought a couple of properties back there up in Harlem. Uh, and, um, you know, we have dear, dear friends there that go back, you know, 40 years that we get a chance to see. And it's, all, it's always nice. It's, it's the greatest city in the world. I mean, obviously I'm biased, but... It's an incredible city, and they're starting to make a comeback now. Yes. Uh, any city can can come back. It, it, it's New York. You know? I, I've spent time in New York City. We have for 12 years about done a, a PBR in, in Madison Square Garden. And, oh, the, and I love going to New York. For one, I'm a pizza guy. There's, oh, yeah. There's no pizza in the world. Like New York City, John's off, John's Pizza off Broadway, off Times Square is my favorite in the world. Anyway, little tip for you, but uh, I've never, I have never been to New York City in the summer. Don't want to go in the summer. Too hot. Too, too hot. Sticky. Too hot and muggy. Okay. Yeah. You want to go to New York? You want to go in the spring or the fall? That's okay. the best. New York in the springtime is amazing. But the summer, eh, it's hot and sticky <laughs> in the winters. But you, you probably. That wouldn't bother you being from Montana, but the winter's going to, yeah. So coldest I've ever been coldest. I've ever been nine degrees in New York city, the wind blowing through the buildings coldest I've ever been. That's cold. That's cold. Yeah. I've I've experienced a couple of those winters as well. Um, (laughs) Your, you talk about your career in New York. Um, Mm -hmm. One thing caught my eye when reading about that, that you were in New York, that you were in a production, didn't write it down. I just, you were in a production with two other young black actors, Denzel Washington. And I think Samuel L. Jackson, am I right? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, Yeah. We were, we were all young kind of just getting, getting started in the business was back. Oh my God. Actually this year will be 40 years hmm. uh, since we did that production. It was uh, a production of a soldier's play, which went on to win the Pulitzer prize. instead of the best play of the year. Uh, amazing, amazing cast. And uh, yeah, myself and Denzel and, and Samuel and we've all stayed friends since then. And um, our kids have kind of grown up together and 
we all kind of made the transition to LA together. And, uh, we, we, we maintained a great friendship, but it was an amazing, amazing experience for me. My first equity, well, union show, and we went on to win just about every major dramatic uh, award for a play that you could win that year. And it's, it's probably in the lexicon of great American plays. Now I was proud to be a part of it. I think there's a uniqueness in, I, I mean, everybody, every job is as important as the other, but I think in any type of entertainment or performing business, there is a, there's a special, it's a, there's a uniqueness to it um, and you, you sort of addressed what was in my mind about, I have, I have a time about back in 1994, 95, where I was at the beginning of my career and what I do in the arena and worked with some guys that were at the same, same stage of their career. We were young guys. We had a real passion for what we were doing. Mm-hmm. And because of that, there is a bond formed there. Cause you're all in the same, you're in the same boat, uh, yeah. And you, you sort of answered that question. It did create, I, I could name those guys uh-huh. that we, when we see each other now, yeah, there's yeah. this special thing of, all right, what are you doing now? Hey, remember when we were in Red Lodge, Montana and we didn't know anybody. And so it, it, there, I think that uh, I'll bet in those two, they saw it in you, you saw it in them. There was a real intensity, a passion, uh, a drive of, where they wanted to end up. What a great thing to feed off of for the three of you and whoever else was in that. Oh yeah, it was, it was, it was really like, like I said, it was a real seminal moment in my career to, to be a part of that cast with, you know, with those three gentlemen. And we've remained friends for that, uh, all of those years and to watch our careers take the, the paths that they took uh, was very satisfying for me. And we've all, I'd like to think all pretty much stayed the same, you know, uh, obviously, uh, you know, Denzel and, and Samuel's career, you know, it's rarefied air. And then <laughs> you know, on TV, my, my career, I'm, I'm probably, I'm seen by more people, but uh, it, it, it's a kind of uh, landscape and stuff. So uh, it, it's nice to see that we were able to, uh, to keep this career going uh, at, at this late stage of our, our careers. And so it's been very satisfying. Um, you, before we started recording this, we were talking about football mm-hmm. and I'm a Packers fan, but I'm a fan yeah. of football. And you, yeah. I, I, I was remiss in not addressing you. You're a Cleveland guy, right? Cleveland, Cleveland Browns fan, do or die. And I'm, <laughs> I'm dating myself, but I go back to Jim Brown. That's oh, how yeah. far I'm. And I remember those old, I remember the 1964 championship game before there was the Super Bowl. That was the last championship Cleveland won. But I followed them since as long as I can remember. My uncle was a season ticket holder. And we, he would, we would sit in the old Cleveland Stadium, which was a barn. I uh, sat right on Lake Erie. And in the wintertime, those late season, late fall, early winter games, you would be freezing your gazits off. And, and watching, and watching watching those great Browns teams, still the only team in the NFL that does not have a helmet insignia. That's right. And, uh, but uh, yeah, I I watched them. I'm really looking forward to this season. They were very encouraging last year. I I think they're going to be a team to watch this year too. Um, In my opinion, and not because you said it, Jim Brown is the greatest football player in the history of the NFL. That's my, nobody was like Jim Brown. Career ended early and not only as a football player, he went on, to Hollywood was in some movies and real 
never went, a, quote unquote, went away. Jim Brown is, is a, you know, a very, a, an activist. Uh, I don't know. I, I think Jim Brown is one of the most influential figures ever as a football player. I would think, I would say at least in the, the, the last part of the, the century, he's one of the, the most influential quote unquote sport figures. But like you say, he was much more than that. But I remember growing up, we lived within, within walking distance of the Cleveland Browns training center during the season, Case Western Reserve University. And my brother and I and cousins and stuff, we would walk to their training center. We'd watch them come in. And I remember as a kid, we were talking eight, nine, 10 years old. You'd see Jim Brown come in and always remember he was like the biggest man I'd ever seen. Huge hands. He drove a pink Coupe de Ville Cadillac. And he, you know, he'd kind of be the last guy to come into to camp, you know, and he, he'd always acknowledge us and stuff. And, hey, how you all doing? And I remember his hands, they, they looked like Virginia hands. They were so big. And, uh, but he was just such a, a force. And, you know, he, he, he was Cleveland and he, he retired on his own terms, he, he nine seasons and just, uh, he, he was quite amazing, quite amazing figure. I still see him from time to time in LA, you know, he's in his mid eighties now, he walks with the cane, but <clears throat> the stature is still there. And he's like, man, this is Jim, this is Jim Brown, you know? Okay, yeah. tell me, were, were his hands, did they seem that big because you were a little kid or does did he really have huge hands? I want to know had, how big the guy is. Yeah, he was a, he had big hands. You have to remember then, we're talking mid-60s, Jim Brown was 6'3", 230 pounds. Oh. He was big as most linebackers. And, uh, you know, he was like carved out of granite and, you know, <laughs> just incredible physique. And he had these huge hands. And you're like, man, and just, he was, he was quite the physical special. Syracuse? Was he a Syracuse guy? Am I right? Syracuse, Syracuse, also reputed to be the greatest lacrosse player. Lacrosse player. In collegiate, in collegiate history. Probably one of the greatest lacrosse players ever. Yeah. Who was yeah, the was. Uh, who was the other great Syracuse running back? There was a movie about him that died of cancer. Ernie uh, Davis. Yeah. Ernie Davis. Yeah. Ernie Davis. They, they traded the great Bobby Mitchell, who just passed away. Yeah. Uh, Several months ago, they traded Bobby Mitchell for the rights to draft Ernie Davis, and he never got to play one game in the pros. He died of, of, of leukemia. I think it was leukemia. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Anyway, there you go. Yeah. We could talk. Fo- we could talk football all day. But... We can talk football all day if you want. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you were Syracuse, which you were. Uh, I don't know why certain things pop out when I kind of read about things. Mm-hmm. Bowling Green was that your college? Falcons. Bowling Green. Yeah, Bowling Green University Falcons. Very yeah. good. Yeah, in the northwest corner of Ohio, about 20 miles south of Toledo. Yeah, and uh, kind of rural farm country, flat as a pancake, uh-huh. and about two and a half hour drive from uh, from Cleveland. Yeah, uh-huh. that's where, where I went to school. Go Falcons. I, I've, I've been, I went up in Ohio. Cooper Tires is based in Findlay, Ohio. Sure. <clears throat> so I made a trip up. Yeah, I made a trip up from Columbus and drove up to Findlay, Ohio. And I think we in Montana picture anything when you talk Ohio or New York or all those states. You think cities. But yeah. but up in that part of Ohio, I was amazed. It's rural, corn and it, yeah. it, very rural. Well, yeah, you know, Ohio is in, and that, there's an argument to be made. It's it's considered Midwest, maybe more mid east, but it is. It's it's essentially once you get away from like Cleveland, Cincinnati, or Youngstown, those big cities, Toledo, Columbus, it's pretty much 
uh, uh, small town feel, yeah. and little bitty town, Finley, like you say, they're all they're all around in there, uh, and uh, yeah, it's it's very rural in parts of central and southern Ohio. Yeah, um, talked about being in New York for quite a while and Broadway, and and I I, I, I always compare to whatever in this field, whatever it is. But I know even uh, there's kind of a point, maybe not a moment, but a an encouraging word from somewhere, someone else. I kind of remember that specifically from a friend of mine named Lloyd Ketchum, great bullfighter. Had a talk with him one day. And there's different events or moments in a rodeo that I remember where I went, damn it, I can I think I can do this. Like I think I need to I need to get out of Montana and go to you know, my version of Hollywood or whatever. I could go to Cheyenne. I could go to Calgary. I could do this. Any, is there anything stands out in your mind where you, you went to Hollywood? You know, I mean, I know it's not. Here I go, I'm going to Hollywood. But there's got to be something or an encouraging word or someone that stands out in your head that you go, man, that was a that was a moment I said, I think I can do this stuff. I'm pretty good at this. Um, wow, that's an interesting question. Um Short story long, uh, but uh, anyway. That's okay. Uh, I got time. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I, I've been in New York, like I said, about 12 years and had carved out a really nice niche for myself. And uh, my agent at the time, who has since now been my manager for we've got a relationship that goes back almost 30 years. Uh, he came out to LA to take a position at a, at a midsize, kind of what they call boutique agency out here. And he... Um, the owner of the agency said you could bring along some clients if you you know and he I was one of the first ones he approached and said Jim I'm I'm translate I'm transferring my business out to LA uh, I will want you to think about coming out here and I was resistant I had done really well in New York and uh, you know my family was starting to grow my daughter was had just been born I think it was 1988 and uh, so I kind of resisted. And he said, but look, you know, if you want to make the transition from theater uh, to film and TV, and, you know, theater is great for the soul, but it doesn't do a whole lot for the pocketbook. But I would expand my career. Uh, I, I would need to, to, to come out and see if I could you know, test the waters. So I relented and, and came out in 1990 for what they called in pilot season, which is kind of a misnomer now. It's no, really, there's no pilot season right. anymore. Kind of all is year round. But anyway, I came out that August and, uh, you know, um, uh, it, when I got there and uh, I kind of said, you know, I, I can do this. You know, I, I can do this. I had a resume that, that, that followed that followed me and at that time casting directors in, in LA and stuff. A New York actor, that was impressive. If you saw New York credits, casting directors would take notice. So he got training and he's been there. And uh, and so uh, that that helped me a lot. Then uh, uh, I kind of got out there and stuck stepped into the deep end. Uh, and, and it was tough the first couple, two, three years. Folks have to know you. They have to feel as though they're responsible for your success. And I get it. That's the nature of the beast out here. And, but, uh, and then I, I, I remember a, a seminal moment. I, now I look back, my very first job in Los Angeles was on the Roseanne. And I came on as, a, as, a, as, a, as this character 
who was different from that. Get up to what I'm trying to make a point at, but I did this Roseanne show, and they started to call me back as a different character, who was the the husband of one of the recurring characters on the show, who was who who was a coworker of Roseanne's character. Anyway, fast forward, uh, that relationship has gone now just about thirty years, and uh, I, I would come on and off on that show, and then when they rebooted. They uh, call and say, "Hey, Jim, can you come and reprise your role again?" I said, "I'd love to." <laughs> uh, it, it, it's it's been a great relationship. John Goodman, I play his best friend on the yeah. show and partner, and he and I go back to New York days. Laurie Metcalf, who uh-huh. plays Jackie, and I worked together in a theater. We did a play, and she's probably I consider one of the greatest stage actresses of all time. We worked together and stuff. So there was a nice. I had a nice cushion there when I came in and most folks are still good friends of mine. I think that moment kind of said, okay, I can do this. That, I can make hey, it. but that's cool. When they re when they reboot the show, you're yeah. already established on Grey's Anatomy. Exactly. So when you come in as that reoccurring character, yeah. it's almost yeah. a cameo. Yeah, exactly. That's a cool thing exactly. that you're coming back to that. That's cool. Uh, yeah. It was a lot, it's been a lot of fun. We have a good time. It, uh, I've taken my girls to uh, when they were, young to some a couple broadway shows and one thing i told them and one thing that's really cool about sitting in that theater from this point forward no matter where you go to a play a show anything this is the standard when you're on broadway that's it there's nothing above this we went to uh wicked you know, because they were little girls. Uh, my other daughter and I went to a, a, a version of Cinderella. It was kind of a spoofy. It was yeah, yeah, so yeah. good. And I told him, this is as good as it gets. This is the, it's the greatest theater. It's the greatest actors. That's yeah. what's cool to me about Broadway. Special yeah. to me about Broadway. Yeah, Love special. it. It's going to be interesting to see how they reimagine Broadway now after 2020 and the pandemic. But they're talking about opening up back in September. So yeah. I'm anxious to see how that's going to. Oh, that's going to look once uh, they figure out all the, the stuff that you got to figure out. Yeah. Um, is when you talk about people knowing you and uh, uh, you, when you flew, when you flew back from, we talked about the fans at the NFR, when you flew back from New York, whenever it was mm-hmm. yesterday, commercial, did you fly commercial. Mm-hmm. Did you fly yeah. commercial? So you're in, yeah. so, you know, yeah. everybody spoken from experience, mm-hmm. you know, everybody that's, you're in a major city. I've flown out of New York, LA, Chicago. When you walk by first class and make no mistake, usually I'm just walking by, you know, we scan first class to see who's sitting in first class. Are you you a put your head down, read a book? Do people stop and say hello? How's your flying experience on commercial airlines? Well, the the most part is is pretty non-eventful. Obviously, I do get get noticed quite often. And once again, folks are very nice. Um, They'll they'll do a double take, Uh you know. And if we make eye contact, I'll acknowledge that, you know, and, a lot of times when I've got my head down, like you said, I may be doing something, kind of getting myself ready for my flight. Or, 
with our getting on the on my computer or something like that. But uh, yeah, they'll they'll stop and they'll they'll acknowledge. They'll say I'm a big fan of the show, and uh, every once in a while I say, "Would you mind taking a, a photo?" And they'll squat down by the seat and we'll, we'll take something. So I don't I don't have a problem with that. So, but it it I, I can honestly say it's it's never been a real intrusion. Um. Well, let me clarify something too. I said, usually I'm walking through, but I do get upgraded once in a while. And just so you know, if I'm flying out of Billings or Great Falls or Bozeman or even Las Vegas, I want you to know once in a while, I get that double take and a picture and I'm proud of it. It's flattering. Is it weird? I just thought it to me in my mind, I'm Flint from Shoto, Montana you know, yeah. town is 1800 people. Is it still a little weird to you that it just feels, you know what? I mean, I've been in the business now for over 40 years now and, and obviously the last 17, 18, uh, uh, it's, it's been a different thing, you know, the, yeah. the celebrity thing has kicked in and it's still, sometimes it takes a minute for me to, uh, to get adjusted. My daughter will say, if we're in a, we're together and you get stopped or something. She'll say, dad, you know, you got to remember you're a, you're a big star. You're a big celebrity folks. They, they there's, there's something about the, the celebrity. And, and, and I don't know if I can phrase this right. You know, if, if, if America had royalty, it would be the same kind of vibe. But since we don't celebrity, is, is the closest thing people have to try to connect and say, this is something that is, is kind of, it's, it's outside of who I am. And, and I, I get a chance to see them on a regular basis. So I feel, I feel I know them. Folks feel like they, you know, 10, 12, 15 million people watch, have been watching me for 17 seasons. They, they feel they know you. They have a, a, sure. an affinity for you. They have a connection there that makes it, um, that makes their experience a little more real for them, if, if that makes sense. And, and so uh, all that said is it still sometimes doesn't sink in that, that, I'm, that I'm at a place where folks want to be close and they want to say how much I've impacted their lives, uh, how much they enjoy what I do. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been very, uh, it's been very enlightening for me in, in that sense. As you said that I, this is hard for me to admit, but it, cause it's probably a chick flick, but one of my, well, I think there, there's a real cool movie out there, an old movie, Hugh Grant and Julia Roberts, Notting Hill, you ever Notting yeah. Hill and she's yeah. a star. And he's yeah. not, and he struggles with that. And there's a point in the movie, she says, you know, none of this is real. Yeah. And yeah. when you said there's, there's that part of it, and I get it. Yeah. Uh, people think they know us. They, yeah. and, oh, you're big time, you're a star. And I've used that. I said, you know, that's all, it's fake. That this is real. Yeah. But some exactly. of that is, it's, it's yeah. fake. But if it brings you joy, if it's yeah. something you can, that has helped you through, then be yeah. fake all at once. It's kind of, yeah. a, it's flattering. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the biggest kicks I got, and you'll enjoy this. I was on a flight to Vegas, to the NFR, and I happened to sit next to a gentleman. He got a cowboy hat on and sit down and looking kind of smallish in stature. And he looks over to me and says, oh, you're Jim Pickens. And I said, yeah. And uh, I, I was geared up, my, my cowboy stuff. And 
he said, oh, man, I'm a big fan of yours. I know you put on a rope in and the whole nine yards. And it was one of the Grony brothers. Oh, and, no. <laughs> and he did this. And he and she, oh, yeah. And we, we talked a whole 50-minute <laughs> flight to, to Vegas. It was very cool. Uh, was very cool. Uh, <laughs> I have a... <laughs> I'm a one of my really good friends and yeah, you've maybe run into him at NFR. He does a lot of music for PBR. Big, he's a big guy, funny guy. His name's Richard. And he gets on a plane, not as long as we're telling airplane stories. Yeah. He gets on a plane in Albuquerque direct to Chicago and he looks over and he's sitting next to Uma Thurman. And he said, I mean, she's beautiful. He was late getting on the plane, running and they start visiting and, uh, he puts on blazing saddles on the on his thing and she's like oh my god what is this movie so they start visiting and the greatest response to a celebrity ever he never says a word because he knows how to he's been around it enough and she finally says my name's uma and he goes and he said oh i know and i'm richard i figured you just knew it was just a professional courtesy that we were <laughs> pretending we didn't know each other and instantly had a bond they love. visited anyway it, it was great it, one I of my favorite it. stories great story great story uh, um you said for 17 years did you tell me when i saw you in vegas you just finished filming season 17 already of grace yeah we Season 17, and, and knock on wood, a good Lord, uh, that uh, we've been picked up for season 18. It's, it's been pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. A heck of a ride. Um, you film from, it, you talked about, and, and I understand pilot season, and mm -hmm. it's all year yeah. round now. Yeah. What, what was your, for my own curiosity and people watching, what it was your filming season? When you say season 17, you filmed from when to when? What's the time? Uh, well, normally, um, you know, now I guess we got to look at the world in terms of pre and post pandemic. Sure, yeah. But uh, before a pandemic, we we would start usually around this time, middle of July, and we would shoot until the following late April, early May. So roughly about ten months we would uh, was our shooting schedule, and that would encompass about twenty four episodes, and that's usually been our order for the last 10, 12 years, maybe even longer than that. It's been a 24 season uh, order. Uh, and one of the few shows that's still doing that. And obviously the, the business model has changed, but yeah, it's been about a 10 month month uh, commitment for us. Man, and you have seen, you've seen people come and go, cast oh, yeah. members. Is that a, I, I see it in my, I always compare it to, to what I do a little bit because I think it all relates. You see people come and go. Is that a hard thing? I mean, there's, they, they leave for certain reasons, maybe their choice, maybe not their choice, but you got to navigate through, all right, now who are you? What, what, what are you? What, how, what's our relationship going to be? You've seen a lot of that. That's an interesting revolving door of people. Uh, yeah, obviously, um, there are there are three original cast members left. Myself, uh, Ellen Pompeo, who plays Meredith, and Chandra Wilson, who plays Bailey. There are three originals left from the original nine. Okay. And folks, as you say, folks leave for various reasons. Uh, you know, their career moves. Uh, uh, sometimes there are moves that were not of their choosing, but, you know, and, and that's just the nature of the business. Our business is very transitory. 
um, and uh, folks come and go. And obviously, to be on a show that as long as we that that I've been on, yes, there are going to be changes. And uh, you, you look at it in terms of keeping keeping it fresh and stuff. And yes, you do have to. Hey, how are you? And what, you know, who are you playing and stuff? And you usually meet those folks at your our read throughs. And it, you just you look at it as okay. This is this is part of what we do and, and, and how this business uh, operates. And so you, you, you adjust, you adapt. And, uh, you know, everybody that comes in changes good uh, and uh, it keeps stuff flowing and keeps it fresh and keeps it new and it keeps you on your toe. I know it keeps me on my toes because now I've got some new interaction with a new character. How does that affect my character, our storylines, transitions into what uh, what's going to be coming down the pike later on. So I, I welcome it. And, you know, uh, at this stage of the game, you know, I was... I was 50 years old when I got on the show, and at about that time, you know, roles for African American, quote unquote, mature actors mm-hmm. are, are are few and far between. Not saying that I would not have worked had I not gotten the show. I'm quite sure my career would have been fine. But to experience this, I mean, the majority of actors will go their whole career, their whole career, and and never experience having, first of all, having a job this long, but also to be at the genesis of a show and watch the progression and see how that show has impacted um, the popular culture, how it's impacted television uh, in, 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 in terms of what our show has done. And to, to watch that, that's what's been truly exciting for me uh, for these, uh, these 17 seasons. <clears throat> I, uh, I've been on the set of NCIS. Oh, yeah, sure. And it... Uh, I do have a, a kind of a friendship with Mark Harmon. I'll throw that. I'm named. Oh, okay. I, I'm just name dropping. I'm just throwing him out there. <laughs> and I said, I said to him one time, well, they still paying you to do this? And he said, yeah, I keep fooling them. You know, yeah, you know. Um, but what's hard for me, I think NCIS is a cool show. It's addictive. But I can't watch it. But the, the big office, I, I know where it is. It's in a warehouse. She's not really in a basement. His apartment, it, it drives me crazy. I can't watch it now for yeah. the sake of everyone watching because I don't know honestly how television does it. You're not really in a hospital. Like how, yeah. how big is the damn warehouse that you guys are in? What, what is the, give me an idea. Cause I'm really curious. Cause I, like I said, I've been on that set. It's yeah. gotta be huge to go through all that. Yeah. Well, we're actually on a, a traditional soundstage. Uh, we 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 uh, we do our show at you know, ABC at the old Prospect Studios, which is one of the older studios in Hollywood, dates back to the twenties. It was actually founded by the the Talmadge sisters, who were big in in the silence. But it's an actual soundstage, and we occupy one, two. I think we have occupied four of the sound stages and uh, they trick it out to look like a hospital, like a, a triage and, and an emergency and an operating theater. And they they do the set design and stuff. They do an amazing job. The first couple of seasons of the show, we did actually shoot at a hospital. My office, we had a, a catwalk that we used as a signature beauty shot. A lot of times you'd see folks walking back and forth for this catwalk with a huge, huge picture window. Uh, and that was actually at a VA hospital here in Los Angeles. And we shot there for about 
I want to say maybe three or four seasons, not periodically when we wanted a shot of nurses stations or something, we would use that. But for 90% of the show, it's been a, on, on a soundstage. Huh. I've always tried. I guess that's why you have the job. I, I it would be so hard to feel like you're a doctor in a hospital yeah. on a soundstage. I, I don't know. I, uh, but uh, do you get medical advice or do you get requests to, uh, I, uh, uh, sorry to say there are people that cannot differentiate in this world between you and an actual doctor. So right. have you yeah. learned any medical knowledge at all or, or do you regurgitate lines? <laughs> yeah, for most part, for most part, it's regurgitation. Some stuff you retain uh, um, just because you hear it so much, uh, and, you, and you try and make it look as like you look like you know what you're talking about. But uh, there's some stuff I, I still retain, or if I'm watching a show that's actually taking place in a hospital somewhere, I just happen to know I hear a word that says, "Oh, okay, so." Adhesions, that means scar tissue, or, you know, <laughs> you, you look at pulmonary embolism, that means a blood clot. Oh, or, you know, those things kind of <laughs> come in your head. You say, oh, I know, I, I know what that is, or a pulse ox, so, you know, they put the little thing on your finger to get your, what your pulse is. So those kind of things. And I actually, when, when the height of uh, the pandemic and ventilating, I know what that actually entails because we, had to perform those on the show. And we had a doctor who would come in and show, this is actually what happens when somebody is ventilated. So we're like, oh, wow. It takes on a whole different context then. So yeah, there's some things I, I, I retain, but a lot of it, it just, you try and make it sound as real as you can. It, uh, I have had, 12 years ago, I had a heart attack. I've had heart I, issues. And I, uh, yeah, I just want you to know, if you or and I, if I'm ever at your team roping, which we'll talk about in Clovis, yeah. California, and I start feeling not right. You know, I'm coming to you before anybody else. Don't, don't come to me. Don't. <laughs> I don't want to hurt you, partner. Don't come to me. I'm going to be on the phone saying 911. We got a cardio here. <laughs> uh, uh, that's it. Come on. You know the episode 12 of season 10. Yeah, I know. Hey, right. you know that... There is a relatively new word in our society with yeah. streaming services and different things. And the word is binge-worthy. Yes. This is binge-worthy. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Ozark. Oh, it's binge-worthy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I hate to say it. Game of Thrones, to me, yeah. was binge-worthy. Sure. Sure. What makes a show so binge-worthy? My girls have seen every episode of Grey's Anatomy. And they're, oh we've talked about that. They started, they're now 20 and 22. Here's these yeah. young people. You're tapping into this whole new demographic of people. Why is Grey's Anatomy so binge worthy? What does that? You know, it's at, at the end of the day, it's great, great storytelling. You know, it, there's a, a quote, and I don't want this to sound negative in any sense, but there is a, a kind of soap opera quality about it. Completely. Uh, the fact that the show... Uh, it was not your, when we premiered, it was not your typical medical drama. You know, you had the machinations of these young interns and stuff, you know, hopping in and out of bed with each other and, and all of the, the, the crazy medical things that we would see and the dynamics between characters. And I think it was it was intriguing to audiences. They hadn't, they hadn't seen anything like that. And it spoke to a lot, especially a, young, a lot of younger audience members. 
And um, you, you want to you see what the journey is of these people and make it a long story longer, hopefully not. But um, these, these characters came on and we saw the best and the worst of them. You know, they we would watch their journey. We'd see them at when they were when they were ugly, and then we would watch them and we'd watch them progress and to become heroic by the end of a, a, a an arc of a, a storyline, and and people were intrigued by that. And then when uh, a lot of like your daughters and and, and and the rest of those who found out about when Netflix picked us up and acquired us because your daughter and they were probably too young at that point to uh, to watch the show when we first premiered. But now that, you know, we we came back on Netflix and through social media and stuff, and we had a huge social media presence. Uh, and, you know, we had, they, they had Grey's Anatomy viewing parties where folks would dress up in scrubs and it was it was crazy the first yeah the first few years of the show first two three four seasons of the show it was just it was just insane they'd never seen anything like it but i think all that said i think the 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 big the draw is the fact that they want to follow these people and watch their journeys they identify with them uh the fact that it is a heavily female cast has a lot to do with it yeah, uh, yeah the true. That, that, that the show is diverse and, uh and and the demographic that it reaches to has a lot to do with it and uh and it made it it made it binge worthy it made them want to they want to watch it i've run into people uh, i countless times who said i i binge watch uh all of season three or i've been watched i'm up to season 10 i've got you know seven more seasons ago and i'm watching them you know like and i'm oh i can do it in like two three days or two days i'll binge watching the show and it's, it's quite a phenomenon and, uh, you know, it says I, a lot about what we've done. i started hopping in with them uh, on it and got same thing and i i, I asked consciously asked myself what is it about this and it, it is it's a story and but then they'd have an episode on some satellite channel and i'd pop in and i go wait what the hell happened to the blonde girl where is she? Oh, she died a long time ago. I mean, yeah. you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. Like, my, my guy helps me. Logan here. He's You're mm-hmm. 22. Your friends, Grey's Anatomy? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. He's not. Oh, yeah. They're all about it. They, so, <laughs> nah, that's funny. Um, uh, I'll switch gears here. Even though, yeah, my girls, they could talk Grey's Anatomy all day. But uh, team roping. Let's talk some rodeo team roping. What's your number? Now, this won't mean anything to everyone but team ropers out there what's your number and what end do you rope team roping uh, I guess in the world series I'm a I think I'm a four nice and uh, uh, I'm a header I, I, I had a lot you know a lot well I can't say it's easier because as of late I'm, the steer has been winning but <laughs> but, but I, I, I had and and you know team roping's been a blast for me I I got on late I mean I got into the whole Western lifestyle thing very late uh, but I'd always backstory I'd always loved the West and grew up a child of the fifties so when you just had three channels and you had to go up and your dad say turn the next channel and then there was no remote you had to turn channel but anyway every network had twenty westerns. And I think we tried to watch them all, my brother, my dad, and myself. And the Westerns were just, they rang true to me. And, um, you know, horse was always my favorite animal. And 
you know, you, you had your favorite Western star, you knew him, you knew his horse, you know, if you had a sidekick, you knew him. And uh, you know, well, fast forward, uh, uh, when I went to New York, I used, I used to ride in Central Park. I, I lived down a street from a rental. It had been an old firehouse. And they converted it to a rental stable and they had old retired police horses and, you know, some horses that come off the track that still had some use left in them. And you would go and it literally was on the other block, end of my block. And I would walk down and they would, they would bring the horses up on an elevator from the basement. No kidding. And they were only English tack. And you would rent a horse and you walk down 89th Street, it was right at 89th between Central Park and Columbus. And you'd walk him down to Central Park West. He'd wait for the light. And you'd cross Central Park West. <laughs> wait, would did he would wait? The, the horse, no? You, oh, you, even if you tried to kick him, he would wait. <laughs> and, you know, he kind of knew when it was time to go, because I guess they could hear when the traffic stopped. Oh. And then he would, he would walk right across, and then you would ride. In Central Park, they had trails that you could ride. And actually, in the film, The Horse Whisperer, I don't know if you remember, when the, the, uh, Scarlett Johansson's character uh, has the bad wreck with her horse, right. they are in Central Park riding. Oh, okay. But uh, they had these wonderful trails there that you could ride, and it was just wonderful. And then I would ride up what they call City Island, which is up a little north of the Bronx. They had a riding stable up there that had Western tack. So I'd ride. And then when I came out to California, I wanted to keep it up. And then, you know, being in, in films and stuff, you'd uh, inevitably run into some guys who were stunt guys who also roped and had, a, you know, Western lifestyle background. And I started talking to those guys. And, you know, one thing led to another. And uh, I started out Team Penny, which I really enjoyed. I had a lot of fun doing sure. that. And then uh, I wanted to something with, I thought, with a little more of an adrenaline rush. And, met a guy who was a teamster and he was a team roper. He was from Oklahoma, Pete. And he kept his roping dummy in the cab of his truck. And when he had a break, he would bring it out and he'd be roping out. I was so fascinated looking at that. I said, man, what are you doing? He said, oh, you know, a team rope. And he gave me the rope. He said, yeah, try it. You know, kind of, I was all over the place, but I was kind of catching this thing. And he just kind of looked at me, he said, you know, you, you kind of have an affinity for that. You get back to LA, you should, if you're interested, you should look into doing it. And, uh, okay, and hobby. So uh, I did and ran into a great family here, the Perez family, uh, father and three sons, and they're big time. Team Ropers here in Southern California have been for years. And it just so happens I had a relationship with them. They had bought an old horse, big old wrong roping horse, and started taking lessons. And they you know one thing led to another, and then uh, Fast forward here to 11 years ago, my wife and I started a charity and we wanted to do something other than just write a check all the time, which is okay. I have no problem with that at all, but I want to do a little more. And I said, how about I use the relationships I've made here in the past 15, 20 years uh, uh, with my passion for team roping and, and, and rodeo and reach out and try and do a roping, raise some funds. And so a good buddy, friend of mine, Neil, who became my co-producer, we, we started reaching out to folks like you and folks at the PRCA at the time, Carl Stressman was uh, uh, over the CEO at the time, and he was so gracious. And I just started reaching out to guys I had met over the years. And he said, well, this is what you do. Right? You 
you talk to him and this is how you set this up and you go here and you go there and uh, I started it and uh, uh, we started at Tahone Ranch which was up about an hour north of Los Angeles the oldest continuous working ranch in America huge it's just um, thousands of acres and um, they were gracious enough to let me have their arena gratis and the first year we did I think we had maybe less than 50 teams but uh they came through and guys like Jake Barnes and uh, oh my gosh, uh, uh, the Tryon brothers and uh, um, uh, I'm trying to you know, the names escape when you're trying to think of folks, but all these folks started coming through and, and you know, little by little words started getting out and guys were saying, you know, that's just roping. Oh, it'll so, get ropers will hear about it. <laughs> and about it. Absolutely. And they started hearing about this thing and then, you know, it's a, they were starting to call it the little BFI. Uh-huh. Because a lot of those guys would come through, and sure. for a lot of spectators, it's the first time they was up and close and personal with some of the best ropers in the world, you know. And Southern California, you know, it's kind of been a, a hotbed for team roping for years. Actually, California is where team roping started, was birthed. Mm-hmm. And uh, but they started seeing these guys, and then I was approached by someone from who had an affiliation with Clovis. Oh, you bet. And uh, he said, you know, you got a really nice thing here. Have you ever thought about a Spaniard coming up, the, you know, coming up north here to Clovis? You would double your team size. And, you know, the guys are right there. And I said, oh, I hadn't thought of it. But we talked and I said, okay. And Clovis was so gracious. They, we kind of started off their week right before the slack and kind of ushered in their, their week and stuff. And uh, we were there for five years almost four years before you know pandemic and and, and everything but uh it's been a great great uh relationship there we uh, we've been able to raise some money for some great charities and also provide those guys with a little bit of money from themselves and give away great prize lines trophy saddles the whole nine yards everybody our sponsors have been really really generous in doing that so it's, it's been a lot of fun if you were to pick a, a place I have a long history at the Clovis Rodeo. Yeah, I mm-hmm. started going there in the mid to late 90s till mm-hmm. I went exclusive with PBR. You you picked a good spot. To talk about a good bunch of guys in a perfect place. Yeah. The Clovis Clovis Rodeo. Yeah. What a good yeah, spot. Absolutely. Great guys. That, the Clovis Rodeo Committee was great. They were very gracious to us for the, the time we were there. And obviously, they, they, they let us have their arena and for free basically and uh it, it was a great time and it got us a lot of needed exposure uh, obviously it it, it it became a magnet for you know because you got red bluff there you, you had clovis and uh and you had uh, three rivers you got all those there and so those guys were there so it was, yeah they're all rodeoing up there in the spring rodeoing. yeah <laughs> So it worked out great for us. So, yeah, I can't uh, thank the Clovis people enough. They were very good. As we record this here in a couple days, a friend of mine puts on a small rodeo up at the resort at Big Sky, Montana, just Mm -hmm. as kind of for the the resort people up there. Mm -hmm. I'm team roping this weekend, Jim. Um, It's been a while. I'm healing. I'm healing. Say which end. All right. <clears throat> I'm gonna heal. You know, I'll 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 whoop up two feet on the corner. I'll slam them. My theory is don't practice. I learned this from my daughter Paige. If you never practice, you can do, never develop bad habits. So that's <laughs> I like that. I like, just watch just watch those thumbs, man. Oh, those thumbs. that's right. It's hard. To, it's always fun at the South Point 
uh, when the big team opens there to go yeah. play blackjack because they can't pick up their cards because they don't have thumbs. <laughs> yeah. I know. I, I'm thinking my daughter Shelby. Uh, my girls, by the way, uh, are on the college rodeo team at Montana State. They okay. love roping. They they okay. rope. Um, and my daughter Shelby is always broke because she loves team roping. But I think okay. she's a four or a five header right in there. Okay. Okay. A, it's addictive as hell, though. It's, it's very addictive. I didn't realize how addictive it was, it was man. And it, and I, I think now with, you know, the World Series and stuff, a weekend warrior like yourself or me, we can go and, and we'll mess around and, and win a bunch of money if, you know, we all the stars align, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's what's really been the big draw now is, you know, wow, we can win yeah. more money than the guys on, you know, on the, on the Pro yeah. Royal Tour if you, if you get it right, you know? Yeah, I should clarify if people watching that uh, team roping has developed an amazing handicap system that's created a market much like the barrel racing horse world where, yeah, you're a four. The highest you can be is a nine, maybe. And Yeah, I think it's a nine. Is, you know, then after that, you're an open roper. I guess they consider you an open roper after yeah. that, yeah. But so people know. So if... If you and I rope together, you're a four. I'm healing. They would probably, I don't know that I've ever had a number, so they'd make me like a two or three. So if yeah. there is a a number seven roping, our combined numbers yeah. can't meet that. So we could enter the number seven. So we we're, we're yeah. not roping against Clay Tryon. We're not no. roping against Kyle Lockett. We're, no. So we're roping against people of our skill level. And those suckers will pay eight, nine thousand. Oh yeah, to win it, just an entry fees, just an entry. Yeah, but 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 yet to your point, yes, we could rope in a, an eight or a nine, and 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 come away and, and win you several thousand bucks uh, on on something that's a hobby. We're on. We're it. You and me, you and me. I'll heal for yeah. you. I'll scoop. I'm ready. Okay. I'll I'll spend one for you. I'll spend a couple for you. Wait, what, what is it? What, wait, you got to get four steers down? I think I could spend four for you. I'll, I, I, the way I figure it, Helan, throw it down there. Something's bound to step in it eventually. That's all you got to do is catch. You it's know, it. most, all you got to do is catch. Yeah. <laughs> My daughter says that. Dad, all I got to do is catch four and we'll win that's three right. grand. No, that's not true. You got to catch four, and I got to catch four yeah, at the same true. time. Oh, that yeah, that it, it it's uh, that's quite a world. Um, yeah. Real quick, and I, I won't keep you much longer, but I, I have a really good friend, and I know you've communicated with him. I think uh, Keith Ryan Cartwright. Oh, sure, Absolutely. very very good friend of me. He was our writer in the PBR for years, and we're very good friends. Looks like Elton John. Anyway, yeah. uh, he is soon to release. I believe first part of November. A I know how hard and long he has worked on this and so proud of him. Such a great guy. Uh, history of black cowboys in America. I can't remember the entire title, but really goes back to the history of, you know, his inspiration was Murtis Deitman uh, in the bull riding and what he went through in the sixties, trying to win a world title should have won a world title. What an interesting concept, uh, by it by Keith and I know you uh communicated with him contributed uh yeah. with him that yeah. is there is a deep history there when you talk about watching westerns and the rodeo world deep history with African-American cowboys uh, in this country absolutely uh and uh yeah and talking with Keith and actually there that that same weekend 
to uh, they they brought the Bill Pickett rodeo in there to be televised for the first time in their 37 year history. But yes, there is a deep deep history of the African American cowboy and their and their contribution to the West. I mean, one out of every four cowboys who were on a cattle drive was African American. You know, uh, I said Murtis Dykeman. There were there were. Uh, uh, tons of them that uh, obviously the history books, you know, left out, but uh, they had an amazing contribution. Uh, obviously, Bill Pickett, the man who was credited with, with creating what is known as well, steer wrestling now, but was bulldog. Mm -hmm. uh, interesting little tidbit. Uh, Ty Murray was one of the announcers for the televised, uh, the telecast for the Bill Pickett, he and along with Fred Whitfield. And Ty got out his phone. He said, I want to show you something, Jim. And he pulled out a picture and his great uncle and his grandfather had worked on the 101 ranch. Uh -huh. And he said, he pointed, he said, you see that man right there? Say, that's Bill Pickett. Bill Pickett was part of that crew. And he said, that's my history with Bill Pickett was going back to my my grandfather, my granduncle, and the one-on-one -on -one ranch, and Bill Pickett was on that crew. Huh. So that, that relationship has been great. Obviously, our influence uh, in the past 30 years with the PRCA has has been has, has been been great. I mean, you got Fred Whitfield, you got Charles, Charlie Sampson, who's a dear friend of mine, as, as is Fred. Sure. We just had Chad Mayfield, who was just crowned a tight on champion last year. Uh, Corey Solomon, you know, there's been a lot of Tommy Cook, uh, and, and the, the presence has been few, but the, it has been instrumental, I think. And, and Keith's book highlights the fact that we we were such a part of that fabric. Uh, I'm glad that he came on with it. I was happy and proud to be a contributor to it. And hopefully it will, it will open up a dialogue and say, hey, wow, this is much more diverse and, and it's much more inclusive than we, yeah. than we had imagined. And, and, uh, and I hope that uh, that starts to raise the conversation, especially in the Western, the, the Western lifestyle. Yeah. I, I, we were, I was just talking with a friend of mine about a really dear friend of mine back in the early 2000s that was a bull rider made the NFR. And we were asked, wondering whatever happened to him. I need to look him up. Mike Moore was a great. Oh, Mike Moore, it, yeah. Mike Moore yeah. and Donnell Tipton traveled a little together, made the NFR. They were at the yeah. NFR when I worked the NFR. They, yeah. they were great. So much fun. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Mike was from Mich was it Ch Illinois? Somewhere, uh, yeah, he was from up yeah, there somewhere. Somewhere around Illinois or somewhere, Mike yeah. was from. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't seen him in quite a few years. I would yeah. run into him occasionally at the NFR, but yeah, yeah. I haven't seen him much. Yeah. Oh. Uh, before I let you go, I had a, the big joke here with me and on this show uh, is, the, you know, the show Yellowstone taken off it, it it's it's ruined everybody thinks it's a documentary about montana it is not a documentary but i know a couple people on there and i i had a whole campaign hashtag flint on yellowstone to try and get uh -huh. i mean what what is a show about montana without a montana icon like myself correct i mean um but i think if that never comes to fruition i think it's flint on gray's anatomy I'm not sure. I think I could lay, I could be the infected middle-aged man. I don't know. No, we, you know what? I, I, I got a pitch for you. Bring you in. <laughs> okay, here we go. You are a rodeo cowboy who comes in with serious injuries, bull rider, and you come in with some serious injuries. We bring you in and we triage you. Right. And we, we find out later that you have a connection 
with somebody in the hospital that was you were separated for whatever reason and they you come together in, in this time and we find out whatever that connection may be may be a dad or a or, or brother or something and uh they may you may have a well you need a kidney or something that's happened and they decide i'm going to donate one even though i don't know who you are and stuff so i mean something like that so think about it God, I'm already, look, I'm emotional. <laughs> it's Think perfect. It. Okay, my thinking is over. Come on, I'm, okay. I'm in. I, I'm good. Okay. Yeah. And that was, off the top, that was off the top of my head. That was strictly off the top of my head. That's why you, who, that's why you who are who you are. I'm in. <laughs> I, that would be good. I can see it. I can yeah. see it. Logan, Logan, I mean, he's going crazy for the idea. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> I have a saying, and I'm going to say it, and excuse my language, but I say it all the time, though. One thing you got to keep in mind, Jim, that would be a, a big honor. But mm-hmm. at my age, mm-hmm. I don't do this shit for free, man. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and nor should you. <laughs> uh, that would be, uh, okay, uh, listen, kick it around. I'm... Uh, I'm pretty, I'm overall pretty easy to work with. Got to fit it in my schedule. You know, I have a real job sort of, but, uh, okay. I like the idea. I like where we're going. You're, you're ahead of, I'll, I'll tell you my show in Vegas in Arlington this year, I had Taylor Sheridan scheduled to come on the oh, creator he, and director he, of Yellowstone. Did he, did he, show? he got COVID couldn't come on. Whoa. Oh, yeah. 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 Have you have you lobbied him to come on the show? I have uh, talked to Forey Smith, who is Lloyd on Yellowstone. He's a Montana guy. I talked to him on the phone. Taylor Sheridan knows who I am. He's seen my work. He's been to some PBR shows. I I mean, I don't know what he's waiting for. What I mean, you got you you got you got to reach out to those cats. You know, you might have to take the initiative on this one, Frank. But between you and you know, and Randy Bloomer surprised all the the trailers that you see on there. That's a no brainer. No brainer. Yeah, Randy Bloomer. I'm watching a clip on Facebook of Yellowstone, and there's a yeah. Bloomer trailer obnoxiously in the picture. And I go, I said out loud, what'd Randy Bloomer do to get his, look at this, all his trailers, no kidding, cuts away, all these guys ride down the hill on horseback. Who's on horseback? Yeah. Randy Bloomer. Randy oh, yeah. Bloomer. Yeah, he even had, he had a line. It's called branding. Brandy. <laughs> oh, shoot. There you go. Well, listen, um, don't want to keep you all day. I know you're busy and I know you're in New York, flew home. Uh, the time you take for my show in Vegas, whenever you're on the time you oh. took today, I do tell people we're friends and I hope that's okay. Um, Absolutely. 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 But you've, you've always treated me with such respect for, for what I do and, and the relationship we have. And, and I do want to get to your team roping someday. I always seem to just miss you and Clovis yeah, yeah. there, but when it kicks back up, if I can get there, I want to get there and I will, I'll rope, I'll rope, I'll rope, I'll rope one foot. Just come and kick it. You know, yeah. you don't have to rope it. You, know, you can just come and kick it. We can okay. do that. Sounds good. Uh, right. Jim, always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you for uh, taking the time. Thanks for the chat. All right. Take Thanks, care. Brother. Yep. Okay.